Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me is Melissa Perry. Melissa is the CEO of Products Labs and the author of a new book called Escaping the Build Trap, How Effective Product Management Creates Value. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show because a lot of my friends like David Bland and folks have mentioned you in this space. And with your new book coming out, I wanted to get you on the show to talk about product management and some of the trends that you're seeing in this particular space. Kick it off. Tell us a little bit about the book and how it came to be. The concept is really that as companies scale, when they're starting out, they're trying to figure out like, how do we get product market fit? And it's all hands on deck and we're a small team and we're trying to figure out like how to really make a business out of it. But as you start to scale, sometimes we lose track of what made us successful and companies get into this habit of just shipping and shipping and shipping and they kind of forget where they're going. So I've seen a ton of companies, especially with product management scale, they don't have a very robust product management team. The organization goes through a massive transformation to figure out how do we get a product management team? And what they do is they end up in this habit of just shipping without really measuring success. Are the products that we're putting out there the right products? Are they doing the right things for our customers? Are our customers liking it? And they forget to get that feedback and really tie what they're doing in the development teams and building these products back to the overall company strategy. And the book is about how do you set up a product organization and scale it so that that doesn't happen? How do you get out of the build trap of just focusing on shipping and using that as a measure of success? You know, how many features can we get out the door rather than what is that gonna do for our business and how is that gonna drive our revenue growth? How is that gonna position us in the market? How's it really gonna do all the things that make us successful as a business? Such an interesting topic because I've seen that in my practice as well and companies that are focused on those outcomes. And once you have a product team, you have to keep them employed. You start looking for things for them to do and adding features and building for the sake of building versus like, why are we really doing this? How are we focused on the customer and, and looking at it from that perspective? So is this something that companies fall into a trap or is it something that's gradual? What are some of the things that are trends that you're seeing of why companies actually fall into this trap in the first place? I think there's two different types of companies. And this is what I've seen like over working with a bunch of companies over the last years. We have some companies that started off as a software or software-based startup, and they're scaling their product management teams and they're going through different phases of growth. They're starting out as like less than $10 million in ARR. They're growing up to 40. They're growing really, really rapidly over the course of two to three years. And then they're trying to exit either in an IPO or get acquired by somebody, you know, who's bigger. So for a lot of money. So those companies, when they have that software foundation, they tend to look for product managers early on, but the first product manager they might have is just anybody who is smart, who could just pull things together and kind of acts a little bit more like a project manager or spec things out. They usually don't have like a ton of training. And then that person will either grow into a leadership position or they'll try to hire more people as a product manager. And they'll find that what got them to where they are to be successful with $10 million won't really grow them to $40 million. Mm -hmm. And that's where they start to look like at how do we bring in product leadership? How do we restructure our organization for growth? And when they do that, they're usually successful going on. They usually can scale 
when they stop to take like a moment there in that growth phase and really say like, how do we organize our product team? How do we get a great chief product officer? They can get out of the build trap pretty quickly because they don't have so many people. They're usually around like, you know, five scrum teams. Maybe they have five to 12 product managers who are not super senior there, but they're bringing in leadership and they're correcting it before it goes too far. So those are the companies we really work with to scale for growth. And on the other side though, there's a lot of enterprises going through a digital transformation now who have not had product managers and who have typically not scaled through software, they've scaled through people. So they are now just realizing like, how do we adopt digital practices that allow us to scale better? And they are taking people from different parts of the organization and making them product managers. And that happens in a big shift. So whereas growth stage companies can scale gradually over time, these larger enterprises, right, are taking about 300 people and saying, okay, you're a product manager now, go, right, right, go do this. Right. And they usually are the ones that struggle a lot with the build trap because they don't have a lot of leadership in those companies to really show them what is good product management. And they're starting, they're teaching people like an entirely new discipline. And I think the misconception of what it means to really go digital is pretty prevalent there too. We take like a lot of business analysts, we take a lot of software devs or project managers in the enterprise and we say, okay, now you're a product owner go build this stuff. They might give them two days of training through a CSPO course. We train a lot of them ourselves as well, but it really is a new career. Like it's a whole new way of working. So those companies typically get into this habit of building and shipping things and stuck in the build trap pretty often because it's like learning an entire new career as you're trying to ship things out to customers. So we see that quite often as well. And how much of that, I guess, falling into the build trap comes from the fact as you get bigger, you get further away from the customer and you start losing that stuff that made yeah. you a startup where you had to figure it out because you were you know, working on it every day to find that product market fit. Talk a little bit about how customer-centric nature is so fundamentally important to not falling into the build trap. Yeah, that's a really big one. I think as, as companies scale, they're trying to figure out how do we get efficiency? How do we keep going? How do we point in the right direction? And when they're small or when you start a new product or a new product line, You'll typically be very close to the customer. You'll try to learn from them. You'll try to understand what's going on. We'll set a strategy and you'll go after it. But then as you start to execute on it, we forget to go back to the customer. It's like, hey, we shipped it, but we forgot to go yeah. back and make sure they like it, right? So we're all really, really paying attention to it at the beginning. And then as you scale or as you grow those companies, we forget to revisit it. And that happens a lot. So as companies grow, they lose touch with the customer. They start building more and more product and then they forget to go back and really like check in and say, hey, are we delivering you value? And that's why I think customer-centric product management is so important. And it's really hard to do at companies at scale because you no longer have like two people on your product team who everybody knows and you're really, you know, you're really close and you can talk to them and they'll be like, hey, I'm going to go talk to this customer tomorrow, right? And a salesperson could look over, you know, from their desk right across from them and say, hey, hey, Actually, that customer doesn't like this right now, right? Don't, don't go talk to them. Right. When you try to put that out to 300 Scrum teams, right? It becomes really hard for them to start to figure out how do we keep track of that? How do we make sure we're talking to the right customers? And that's where you have to put in a lot of operations to make sure that you can still have product managers talking to customers. Like they need to talk to customers. That's absolutely critical. But you have to start putting the systems in place. And at one client I worked at, at Athena Health, they actually had a really great way of doing this across 350 scrum teams, we built a portal that tracked all the customers and we had them opt in to doing user research and being able to test different things. So if we had things in alpha or beta, 
they would opt in to say, yeah, I'd love to test out that new product or feel free to contact me about new things you're building. Or people would opt out and say, no, I, I'm like not interested in this. And they built a great database of all of their customers and who the product managers could contact. And they also kept in touch with who was contacting who over time so that they could you know, not bother people. Every company I've ever been in, they're like, oh, we can't bother people. <laughs> Our customers will get really upset right, with us. No. Don't, don't go bother them, which is, which is crazy because you're delivering value to them. They want you to deliver value to them. So I've never seen customers get really upset with that as long as you're doing it well. But they built this whole system that scaled really nicely across 350 teams. And now the product owners and the product managers were so empowered to just reach out to customers and ask them questions about different things. And we trained them in great user research and they knew what to do. And they went out and they had a lot more contact with the customers where they would shadow them and watch them and really be able to solve their problems. So customer-centric product management is so critical. And it's not something that a lot of companies do very well, but it's really the make or break difference to building a great product. That's how you do product management. Like You have to keep in touch with your customers. Well, it seems like some of the companies that are doing it well are the ones that have a culture of customer centricity around it. So you know, the example you just gave, you know, the fact that they're not only understood the importance of that, but then actually built tools to support that cultural shift. And that seems to be a big win for them. Can you think of other mm -hmm. examples or other tools or other companies that you've seen that are doing this well? There's companies like Capital One that has a whole products labs where they can talk to customers all the time and they would come in and test prototypes. I think Vanguard had something like that as well for a while. So large companies are starting to build these places where teams can go and get direct contact with customers. And I think that's really great. I've seen them more and more in large enterprises. They may not be distributed throughout the company super well yet, but they are at least starting to really understand that, really hone in on being able to get in touch with your customers, really understanding the value of getting in touch with your customers. And I think those are the first steps to really making this a more robust process throughout the company. Let's talk a little bit more about the book itself. So if I'm a product manager in a big company and that I pick your book off the shelf, what are the key takeaways or things I should plan on getting out of this, out of the book? I think somebody summed it up pretty nicely for me on Twitter and he did a much better job explaining it, I felt like, than my <laughs> summary. He said, this book doesn't just tell you how to do product management, it tells you how to think about product management and a larger concept about what is this career, what is this domain, how does it fit into companies and why is it really important? And that's what I was hoping to bring to everybody. So it does give a lot of step-by-step -step processes and how do you set up a great product management org? But I wanted to give people who may be starting out in product management a way to see themselves in a career track and a career trajectory about how does this fit into an overall company. And I also wanted to give managers and either chief product officers who've done product for a while and maybe setting up you know, their first product organization and trying to figure out how do I do this really well. I wanted to give them advice on how to set it up nicely and make sure that you have the right processes and the right structure and the right organization, the right strategy, because it's really hard to learn all those pieces throughout your career too. Some people I've seen as a head of product or chief product officer, you know, their first time in that role and they're looking at how do I do this right? So it gives a good structure for that. And I think also for management of companies that want to adopt better product management processes, it also gives them an inkling of what does that mean for me? What's going to change for my company? So talk a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing. So you've been in this space of product management for a number of years and you've kind of seen the ebbs and flows of the buzzwords from Agile and Scrum and all the things that are out there right now. What are some of the trends that you're seeing that are, are positive and kind of changing the way people are thinking about product management? It's really taken off. I remember when I started as a product manager, I would tell people, oh, I'm a product manager. And they're like, what the hell is that? I don't even know. I don't know what that means. Explain it to me. 
And I always had to be like, well, I'm kind of like the interface between business and tech. And I try to figure out like what's built that our customers will like. And now when I say I'm a product manager, everybody gets excited about it, which is pretty cool. Most people in the tech industry, at least uh, even larger businesses, they're starting to realize it's a thing, even if they don't quite know what that means. So it's really evolved over time. I think there's two different ways that product management has evolved though, and it's starting to converge. So out of Silicon Valley, which is where I started with product management and I was in large company and then I went to startups and that's really where I honed my domain in, in product. That school of thought with product management is very typical to what I talk about in the book of you are a product manager who owns a software product. You may be streamlining processes or automating that, but you are going to be talking to customers. You're going to be figuring out how to further the business and you're going to be turning great ideas into great business models and working with the team to actually explore and figure out how to best solve people's problems. Out of the agile school of thought, though, that came up like not with the same school of thought of the Silicon Valley stuff. So agile has taken a hold and the product owner role has emerged and it's leaving a lot of companies, I think, confused about what is the difference between a product owner and a product manager and mm -hmm. are they different and do we need both of them or like what should our product owners be doing? And we do a ton of training uh, with really large enterprises that have done the agile transformation and they're looking at like, how do I take these product owners and make them into product managers? And it's confusing because of the terminology. I think people get tripped up on it and say, oh, a product owner is not the same as a product manager. A product manager might be higher level. To me, it's not. Like the career path, the thing you're going to do is product management. I don't particularly care. I would prefer everybody to call everybody product managers, and, you know, have an associate product manager, a product manager, a senior product manager, director of product, all the way up, VP, CPO. But a lot of those people get into that role and they're looking up, what do I do as a product owner? And they see what Scrum says the product owner role is on the team, which is, you know, grooming the backlog, coming up with the product vision, working with the team. And that's only a piece of product management. That's only a piece of what people's jobs are, but they think that's the whole thing. So that's where we get into the build trap as well. And I think agile companies thinking about agile in that way as like, I do scrum and I have product owners and they groom backlogs and then they prioritize stuff for teams. That's where we get into the build trap because we're not really thinking holistically about what is our strategy? What is the value we're really achieving for customers? How are we going to get there? How do we best organize around getting there? How do we let people experiment? And that school of thought is really, I think what trips up some people when they're trying to get into product management. Whereas the Silicon Valley school of thought of product management is really all encompassing. It's all about strategy and understanding the business and understanding the product and understanding the tech. It's a pretty big role for somebody. And that's also an argument, right? Like it's too much for one person, but you right. can always decrease the scope over what they see and still give people that authority. And I have only seen it work well when people are allowed to rise up and make decisions on that type of level. Well, and that brings up a good point. So if you're a product manager and you're Focus on the how to build things, and you're not necessarily given the authority of what to build. How do you manage that dichotomy and the fact that ultimately, if you want to be successful, you need to know what to build as well as how to get there. But if you're not given that autonomy or authority to make those particular decisions, and that, what are some recommendations or advice that you might have for a person in that position? We run into that all the time, and I see it all over the place where somebody's been handed a solution, they have to go execute on and build it. And I teach my product managers to start questioning why. Right. Why are we building this solution? What goals do you want to hit? And you can start small. Maybe you have to build that thing and that's great, but can you build it in a better way that actually solves the problem? Can you dig into what the problem is? And maybe 
you can make little changes in the solution because you have scope over that to make it better than it once was. I think the more we question why we're doing, the more we try to figure out how does that tie into the business? How does it further the business? What does success really mean? The mm -hmm. better you become as a product manager, even if you can't make all the changes that you want to, if you just at least start questioning and, and try, like push back a little bit. When I work with executives, I always work with CEOs and CPOs of these companies and they tell me, I want my people to start owning these things and I want them to push back. And I say, well, you're going to have to let them push back. So that's one, right? Like yeah. if you're asking somebody to push back, they're going to push back. So let them be receptive to what they're saying, right? Then I tell the product managers, okay, go be prepared, right? Show them why you're pushing back. Give them the data, let them see what's going to be better and why this is not the best solution and you should try something different. Absolutely. Well, it's fascinating stuff. If people want to find out more about yourself or the book, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can buy the book on Amazon. It's out there. Escaping the Bill Trap is what it's under. It's been published by O'Reilly. We're productslabs.com, P-R-O-D-U-X-L-A-B-S.com. We've been working with a lot of growth stage companies to accelerate their product work and help them grow their teams and scale them correctly. And we've also been working with a lot of enterprises going through these transformations to train product managers and make sure that they set up from the top down the best product manager organization to thrive. And I blog at melissaperry.com and you can find me on Twitter at LissyJean is my handle. So I'm always happy to talk about product management things and see what people are working on. Well, Melissa, thank you very much for being on Inside Outside Innovation. Look forward to staying in touch and keeping in touch with all, all the new things in product management. Great. Thanks, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.